Good morning, West Highland. The last time I was uh, preaching on one of the parables, it was uh, from our parking lot, and uh, I was wearing shorts on that day. And uh, now today, as I bring uh, the word again, this time I'm not in the parking lot, but I'm also not with you uh, this morning in the auditorium, um, but I'm in uh, at my home and also wearing shorts. So uh, two times wearing shorts in a row for preaching, I might get used to this. Uh, this morning, uh, our parable is called uh, Being Ready for the Return of the King, and it's from Luke 12, 35 uh, to 48. I want to ask you a question before we get into it. Um, have you ever, were you ever um, in school and had a book assignment, and you just never got to reading the book that uh, was assigned? Uh, maybe you didn't have to write a book report on it, but it was uh, a sign that you're going to have to discuss it in class the next day. And uh, maybe the morning of, you're, you got the book, you're skimming through it, you read the first few pages and read the last few just to kind of get the idea of how it starts and how it ends. Uh, you might not know much about the main plot line, uh, but at least you know where the story was going. Um, if you did that with the Bible, what would you find if you just looked at the beginning and the end? Well, at the beginning, of course, uh, we would learn that God is our creator, um, that he is sovereign over all things because of his creation. And then if we went to the end, uh, what would we learn? Well, perhaps we'd learn that there's a great war between God and Satan, where Satan will ultimately be defeated, and, uh, and God will usher in a new heaven and new earth. Um, but we'd also learn that uh, the second to last verse in the Bible tells us that Jesus says, yes, I am coming again soon. That's an amazing promise to us, especially in these crazy days, that Jesus is coming again soon. And... Uh, this morning, we're looking at a parable that focuses on how we as believers should be ready for his return. Uh, there's a great crowd gathering around Jesus in Luke chapter 12. It was so great that uh, Luke wrote that they were trampling on one another. And uh, over the course of chapter 12, Jesus interacts with the crowd as well as the disciples speaking on issues of being ready um, for Jesus's return and living in light of God's kingdom. Uh, Jesus wants us to be focused on the things um, of heaven and, the, and that are above and not the things here on earth. And so the three main things uh, you'll see if you're following on with the notes um, in the bulletin that I want to focus on this morning from this parable in Luke 12 is that uh, the Lord will return. Uh, we need to be ready and a judgment awaits. And so first of all, the Lord uh, will return. Uh, Luke 12 uh, verse 40 Jesus says, uh, you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now this uh, title, the Son of Man, you might be familiar with or you might not be, but it was a messianic title that Jesus used for himself. And this comes from Daniel, uh, one of the main places where uh, we see uh, this phrase, the Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7, uh, verses 13 and 14. And it says, uh, says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So in Daniel, there's this image of, uh, of Jesus being the one who will be the Son of Man who's coming down from heaven. And so when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man in front of the Jews, 
uh, they would have had this reference uh, in their mind. And uh, so we know that the context of these parables uh, that we'll look at this morning are clearly surrounding the second coming of Christ. Jesus was sure of it, that uh, after he lived that life on earth and died and resurrected and ascended to heaven, that one day he would return. And he wanted to make sure that his church and his people were ready uh, for that and knowing how to live. But what will Jesus' return actually look like? Um, we know, or what do we know from scripture about his return? What will his return look like? Well, a few things that I want to share with you about this. First of all, it will be unexpected, right? We, we see this from Luke 12 here. Jesus is going to become like a thief in the night. And uh, he says we should be ready because he's going to come at an hour we don't expect. And so anyone that tries to tell you they know the time or the date or they've got a system of reading the Bible where they can know when Jesus will return, uh, they're just leading you astray. The, Jesus has, has said his return will be unexpected. But secondly, it will be personal. It will be Jesus Christ himself. He's not sending someone on his behalf. He is coming. And Titus 2.13 tells us that our blessed hope is the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the hope, the great hope, the blessed hope that we have as believers, that Jesus himself will one day return. Third, it will be visible. So it will be unexpected, it will be personal, and it will be visible. Jesus will be seen by all people. Um, Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming on the clouds, and every eye will see him. How exactly this works, uh, we can't be uh, certain how people from all around the globe will see Jesus uh, at the same time. Uh, it's not clear from scripture, but what is certain is that we will be able to see if we are still here or the people that are here when Jesus returns. Um, we'll be able to see Jesus with their own eyes. He'll be visible. And then the, other, the last thing I wanted to share forth, it will be bodily. The angel who uh, spoke to the disciples um, after Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 1 uh, tells them this, This same Jesus have you, who you have seen taken uh, from you to heaven will come back in the same, same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so Jesus rose. He had resurrected bodily. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. It was a bodily resurrection. And it wasn't just a spiritual ascension. It was a bodily ascension. And again, Jesus will come again uh, bodily when he returns in his resurrection body. So the resurrection of Jesus is certain as the first coming of Jesus occurred. There's much more that could be said about the second coming. Um, but these four things are a solid start. It will be unexpected. It will be personal. It will be visible. And it will be bodily. But I think this is something, and I think you would agree that uh, we as Christians, um, we don't think about it too often that Jesus will return. Perhaps some people think about it too often, and that's all that they speak about. But I think for most Christians, if, if you guys asked yourselves this morning, you're not thinking regularly that Jesus could return this very day. And uh, I think we, we think, we know mentally it's something that is going to happen. Um, it's something that we would agree is true, but it's not really relevant to our day-to-day -day lives. But the New Testament, uh, a study was done, one in 25 verses in the New Testament is about the second coming. So a pretty big focus of the New Testament is about Jesus's return. So why would the Bible and the New Testament in particular speak so much about the Lord's second coming 
uh, if it wasn't to be relevant for us in our day-to-day lives as believers today. And I think, you know, it was important to the New Testament writers. It was important to Jesus. He's promised to return, and I think it needs to be important for us as well. And so Jesus will return. We need to be uh, assured of that, maybe especially in these strange days we find ourselves in. But secondly, we need to be ready. And so we see this uh, in the two short parables uh, at the beginning of our passage. So verse 35 to 38 of Luke 12. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. This section is on alertness. The servant of Jesus needs to be alert and ready for his return. Verse 35, be dressed and ready for service. So what what, uh, Jesus is saying here is, um, for those, again, that would have originally heard this, um, literally this this phrase means like to to have your loins girded up and so in that culture right like um, they wore long uh, free hanging robes um, and uh, when they were relaxing it wasn't going to be it wasn't tucked into their belt they weren't um, they weren't ready for action when they were when they were relaxing and so if they were like that if their long robe wasn't tucked into their belt it would be too long they'd trip over it and so those that were ready for action had their robes tucked into their belt. It's kind of like for us at the end of the day, maybe you get home from work, uh, you sit down on the couch, maybe loosen your belt a bit, untuck your shirt, sit in front of the TV. Um, It's not immodest or anything, uh, but if the doorbell rang, you're probably going to put yourself together a bit before you answer the door. (laughs) You aren't in in a ready state um, for service um, when you're sitting on the couch like that. So Jesus says he wants us and his servants to be ready, dressed for service. He also says he wants us to keep our lamps burning. And uh, we heard uh, a parable last year uh, about those that needed to have their oil lamps um, burning overnight um, in order to keep your lamps going. They weren't just plugged in like we have today. They had oil that needed regular refilling um, to keep the lamp burning. And so watchmen, uh, if they, if they would let the only way they would let their lamp go out is if their shift was done or if the daylight was coming. But uh, in those days, as you've probably heard before, weddings could go on um, for days. And so these servants didn't know exactly, you know, if the the master went out at 11 a.m., they might not be back that that evening. It might be the next day or the day after even or or even later in the week. Uh, So they needed to be ready, according to this parable, that the master could come at any time. And when the master returned, he wants to see that his servants are ready for them. The master doesn't want to find his servants sleeping or unprepared. They need to be ready to, to welcome their master home. Verse 37 says, It will be good for those servants who finds their master watching them when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants who finds them, whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. It will be good for them, right? It, this literally means it will be blessed. They will be blessed as servants. They will be happy uh, if, they, if their master finds themselves in a good state. Um, why will they be happy? Well, this parable says it's because that master is actually going to get changed out of his wedding clothes and he's going to put on serving clothes and put on a meal for them. 
he'll be so happy with the way that the servants have um, have been ready for his return that he's going to actually put on a feast for them. For us here in the story today, again, it seems like, well, that's a kind thing to, for the boss to do. Like, I don't know too many bosses who would do something like that. Um, maybe some of us have a boss who some, here and there shows us appreciation uh, from time to time, maybe a Timmy's gift card or something like that. But for those who would have heard this again in Jesus's day, it was un unthinkable for a master to become a servant. Why would the master serve his servants? It was unheard of for someone with a position of honor to humble themselves and serve others. What kind of master would make himself nothing to become like a servant? Well, of course, we know that Jesus is one who would do that. And Jesus has done that both for us and for uh, his own disciples. Think, think to the Last Supper. Jesus is serving his disciples by washing their feet. Peter gets up and he, and he rebukes Jesus and says, Jesus, you shouldn't be doing this. To Peter, it was unthinkable that his master, his rabbi, would be serving him. But Jesus flips the master-servant relationship on its head. It's only a servant leader like Jesus who would do such a thing and teach his followers also to do the same. And so this master in this, in this parable um, is like Jesus. He comes back, he finds his servants um, have done what he's wanted them to do, and he serves them, and they are blessed and happy. This, uh, this first short parable about servants being ready for their master return um, it is about the happiness of the master finding his servants ready for his return. But then he also tells another short parable. There's, that, there's more than one parable uh, in this section. The second one is uh, in verses 39 and 40 of chapter 12. The thief that comes in the night unexpected. Verse 39 says, But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man, as that title again, will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Again, this is a second separate short uh, but related parable. And this focus in this one changes from the arrival of a master coming home to his expectant servants to the arrival of a thief coming when the homeowner least expect it. Homeowners must always be ready to protect their home from a thief because thieves don't announce themselves. Recently, I heard a story told by a pastor, uh, Scottish pastor, Alistair Begg. Some of you may be familiar with him. He tells the story of a couple in Liverpool, England, who regularly park their car out in front of their house, um, or yeah, in front of their house or in the driveway overnight. They got up one morning and found that their car was stolen. But strangely, a few days later, they found that when they woke up, the car was actually parked back in their driveway. Uh, strangely, again, there was nothing damaged or taken out of the car, um, but a note was left on the dashboard for them and uh, to which the person wrote, thanks for the use of your car over the past few days. Um, I apologize for the inconvenience of taking your car and I'd like to make it up to you. So um, here's two tickets to the theater. The couple thought, oh, that's strange, but I guess at least uh, we're, we're happy to get our car back and happy that we get something out of this ordeal that we can go to the theater. So they went out uh, to the theater uh, on the night of the, that the tickets uh, said that they were supposed to go out 
They went out to the theater, had a great time. When they came home, they found that their house was broken into and, uh, and th that same burglar had come into their house and stole things from their house. And, and it's apparently a true story. The, the burglar knew <laughs> that the, the couple would be out because he's the one that gave them the tickets. Smart thief. Um, if the couple had known what the thief's plans were, of course they would not have gone out to the theater that night. They would have instead been prepared uh, for the thief. But it was the unexpected nature of the thief's uh, coming that made the burglary possible. And this is the very point that Jesus is making here in this simple parable. When he returns, he's going to come like a thief in the night. We don't know what time it is that he's going to be coming. So we need to be ready, always alert at any time for Jesus to return. Faithfulness to Jesus means being ready for his return at any moment, because it could literally be at every, any moment. Both of these short parables so far teach us that we need to be ready because our master could be back at any time and he expects us to be ready. So Peter, who's part of the disciples hearing this in verse 41, says, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everybody? Again, Jesus had been addressing both the disciples, but he was in the midst of the crowds and Peter was confused. Why would Jesus be telling us this parable? You know, weren't we all faithful disciples of him? Like, surely, in, in Peter's mind, Jesus must be referencing the crowds because he couldn't be talking about him. And aren't we like that sometimes uh, when we hear uh, sermons or the commands of Jesus? Um, you know, this one would be a great message for the person next to me or in the row in front of me to hear. It couldn't be for me, uh, like Peter's thinking here. It's, is this parable for, for me or for the person sitting in front of me, Peter's saying, if he was in church with you today? But it seems like Jesus is, he's addressing the disciples specifically, but it's also relevant to everyone who hears it. All of us need to heed this call for wise stewardship of our lives and resources. Remember, whatever we own is really just on loan from God. And this means we need to use what God has given us um, to serve others and be ready that when Jesus returns, he sees us living in a way uh, that he would want us to be living. So Jesus doesn't answer Peter's question directly, but uh, he seems to be saying, you know what, never mind with that uh, question, Peter, that's just stemming from pure curiosity on your part, but let's keep focused on what it means to be a faithful servant. And so Jesus goes on to tell a third story or a third parable um, from verses 42 to 48. And uh, so let's look at these next few verses in verse 42. So the Lord answered, Peter, um, who then is the wise and faithful manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So here Jesus is returning back to the metaphor of the servant who is put in charge of his fellow servants while the master's away. So he's speaking to the master of the house uh, or the one that's going to be the master, at least while um, the owner goes away. And so he puts them, this person in charge, providing the food for the rest of the servants um, while he's gone. And so this position that he's given this one servant uh, is a position of prominence and responsibility. 
But the role is not to be used to lord it over the other servants, but to serve the other household workers. And we find Jesus talks about four types of servants in this passage. And in verse 42 to 44, we meet the wise and faithful manager. This parable doesn't say much about what the servant did to be called faithful and wise, but it just says when the master returns, he finds that servant doing what the master says uh, when he returns. And what's the result of this servant's faithfulness? Well, it says in this passage, uh, he will find a reward and it will be good for him. And the master will put him in charge of more things. So there's a judgment, but this this servant who's been faithful receives a positive judgment. Again, a reward. It's good for him. He's now going to be put in charge of more things. Think of term, in terms of Joseph in Potiphar's house back in the book of Genesis. He was faithful. And even though he was a servant, he was promoted to further responsibility and authority. Again, we don't get many details specifically about what the faithful servant did. But the bottom line is... The servant is actively doing what the master called him to do. We see a second servant in verses 45 and 46. So Jesus says, but suppose the servants, but suppose this servant or another servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The second servant mentioned here is unfaithful and evil. Look at verse 45. It's interesting to note that this servant says, he says these things to himself. So he's not going around saying these things. The servant says these things to himself. Often it's what we think privately, but we perhaps never say publicly, which actually drives our actions. It's not the thing that the servant is saying out loud to others, oh, I'm going to go and do this, but he says to himself, he's thinking of how can I use this time to my advantage, even though others might think I'm uh, doing things well, or, or you might look good in front of others. Um, the servant says it to himself. Often our actions line up greater with our inner thoughts than they do our publicly stated words. The servant in this verse is really evil in his actions, right? He's beating the other servants. He overindulges himself in food and in drink. And this servant finds the time of his master being away is a time to exert control and mistreat his fellow servants. The fact that Jesus mentions uh, as well that the servant says, or that he says, my master's taking a long time in coming, shows that another one of this servant's problems is that he thinks he's got all the time in the world to do whatever he wants. He's not thinking of my master could return at any moment. So I need to be, I shouldn't be doing evil things. I should be faithful to him. Jesus knows probably that in the year 2021, In the midst of the COVID pandemic, there's going to be some believers as well who are doubting the return of Jesus. You know, maybe there's some of us this morning listening to this saying, my master, Jesus is taking a long time in coming. And so because of that, you're not living your lives in light of his return. 
And so part of the warning of this parable is, is that we should not doubt the Lord's return, as I mentioned in the first point, because it can lead us to become unfaithful to our calling, much like it did for the second servant. But the master's delay, as we see, doesn't um, excuse this type of disobedience. So the passage says that the master's not going to be pleased with this servant. The punishment will be severe. Jesus says that the master will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. This punishment seems quite graphic and over the top uh, to our modern minds, doesn't it? To cut, the master's going to cut him to pieces. Literally, says it's he's going to cut him in two. It might say that in some of the notes in your the Bible at the bottom. This phrase, um, cut him in two or cut him to pieces, it's a phrase also used in Jeremiah 34. Uh, when the Lord, through the prophet Jeremiah, was proclaiming freedom to Hebrew slaves. Then he, then he said, For those who broke their covenant with God and mistreated their slaves, they were to be treated like the calf that they had cut in two. And so, could this be what Jesus is referring to, the same idea? Uh, perhaps. Um, Jesus goes on to say that, uh, that this servant will be assigned a place with the unbelievers. So this graphic imagery of being cut into, or cut into two, um, or cut into pieces, is less likely a literal thing that is going to happen. But it's meant to mean that the punishment will will be severe, and it's going to be a means of putting off this servant from the people of God. So when Jesus returns and finds those acting in an evil way, they are going to be put off from the people of God. You can't be part of the people of God and be acting in this kind of evil way. Such blatant disobedience uh, to the clear commands of the master means that the servant's judgment will be harsh. And finally, in verses 47 and 48, there's the third and fourth servants. So the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. The third servant is the one who knows the master's will but does not do it. They will be beaten with many blows. And then the last servant is the one who doesn't know the master's will, but they're still acting in a disobedient way. And so their punishment, they'll still receive punishment, but it will be less severe. Um, some might be thinking, and I was thinking this, why does the last servant receive punishment if they weren't aware of the master's will? Um, well, when I asked this question myself, I had to see, well, this parable, it's not, this isn't the question it's seeking to, to answer, but it's still an interesting one. Um, from other teachings, though, in the New Testament, um, often when we don't find the answer to our question in the passage we're looking for, we have to look for it in other places in the Bible. We interpret what's unclear in a passage by what's clear elsewhere. And so, um, you know, in other teachings in the New Testament, think of Romans 1 and 2, we see that uh, all people are aware um, because of creation and because of the conscience that God's given them of what's right and wrong. Uh, this passage even says that they've done something deserving of punishment. So in some ways they know what they're doing is wrong. They just haven't heard that directly from their master. Um, and so ignorance of right and wrong is never absolute. We all bear guilt before God, um, whether we know 
all of his commands or not. Um, and so again, Romans 1 and 2 for more on that, if you're curious about, uh, about that, God, uh, or just being aware of God's law um, through creation and the conscience that he's given us. This is, I was actually teaching the, the kids around the dinner table this earlier this week, the difference between general revelation and special revelation. But um, now that that's been a bit of a rabbit trail, Jesus wraps up <laughs> this last section of, with a f familiar proverb um, that for those who have been given much, much will be expected. And so the three types of punishment that are given to these disobedient servants are in proportion to the responsibility they were given as well as the instruction they had received. And so the servant who knows what they're supposed to do but doesn't do it, I think they're like many people who claim to be Christian today, right? Um, it's tempting to think even if we're not like that second servant who's just clearly evil, um, you know, we're aware of the commands of God, but often we're just lazy and we don't do what we're supposed to do. Maybe we think that because we're saved, um, further obedience isn't necessarily really required. I've kind of got my, you know, get out of hell free card by praying a prayer. And now, you know, I don't really have to continue on in my faith. Um, but the servant who acts like that um, is finds uh, their master come back and, uh, and is not not happy with the way they're acting. Maybe we think there's no urgency to live faithfully. We don't think it's really possible that Jesus could return in our lifetime. Uh, the apostle Peter, you know, he faced Jesus on this issue, right? He heard this parable and then later in his ministry in 2 Peter 3, um, verse 3 says, Above all, you must understand that in the last day, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own des evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors dies, died, everything goes on as it has, has since the beginning of creation. So the people that Peter's seeing, they're, they're doubting Jesus' return. And, uh, you know, where is this coming that he promised? People like to take advantage of the time that God is graciously giving for people to repent. And they're using it um, they're squandering the resources God has given them on their own pleasures rather than in service to the master. And again, this is one of those things that's easy to think, well, that's that's not me. That's this other person that doesn't go to church. Or that's this other person that I know in the church. They squander all their stuff. Um, but we each need to kind of reckon with this, that um, Jesus wants to find us faithful when he returns. And these servants, they're not faithful in serving Jesus and therefore they're not ready for his return. But again, as we see in this, this passage, sooner or later, the day of reckoning comes, whether the servants are ready for it or not. And Jesus warns us in these verses that there will be a day of judgment and one day Jesus will return and we should be ready to give an account for our actions. And so as I come to a close here, um, what, is this, what does it actually look like to be ready for us today? In some ways, it's a simple question. We need to be found doing the things Jesus expects us to be doing. And so it's like if, if a husband is home for a week with their kids while their wife is away, he knows what she's going to probably expect when uh, she returns. Like uh, if it's she's coming home on Saturday and it's Friday evening and the house is a disaster, he, uh, he better get that, that house together because she's going to be coming home expecting it to be in a certain state. He knows he's better tidy up before uh, she gets back. Now that's when the 
the husband knows the time that the wife's returning. Uh, if he doesn't know, then he's got to be ready kind of at any time for her to return. We don't know the day or the hour of Jesus' return. It could be today. Um, and what a glorious picture and what experience that will be. I will be ready for that. Um, but what does it look like for us to be ready for his return? And I think to be ready means that the coming of Christ at any moment produces no fear and no shame. Let me say that again. Being ready for the coming of Christ means that the thought of his return produces no fear and no shame. So if you knew that Jesus was going to return at the end of this service, would there be fear? Would there be shame? That's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Let me suggest two ways as I close again that we can, be, we can make sure we are ready. The first way we all need to make sure we are ready is to experience a spiritual rebirth. We need to be converted. We need to truly know the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior. These parables deal, this ones that I've talked about this morning, with the second coming of Jesus, and they're some of the weightiest in the Gospels because uh, of the consequences for being found unfaithful. And so they leave us with no choice um, but to consider our eternal destiny. We have all failed our master in one way or the other. Each person listening to this this morning uh, has varying levels of knowledge of God uh, and the Bible, but none of us could say we've been completely faithful to Jesus. And this is why each and every one of us needs a Savior. There's only one perfect and faithful servant of God the Father who obeyed his commands fully and perfectly, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He's the only one that can stand before God the Father with a perfect righteousness of his own. Everyone else is reliant on a righteousness that is apart from themselves because they're not righteous. None of us are righteous on our own. And there's a temptation, I think, to grade ourselves on a curve. You know, we, we think about our coworker or our neighbor and think, you know, standing next to them before God, I'm probably going to be in good shape. But the problem is, is that entrance into heaven isn't graded on a curve. We must perfectly obey or we cannot enter God's presence. When Jesus went to the cross, he took our unfaithfulness on himself and died in our place. And when he rose from the grave three days later, he defeated sin and death and won the victory that we couldn't win on our own. And so for those who put their trust in Jesus and the righteousness that comes from him, they will be saved. They will have no need to have fear or to be ashamed. Those who put their hope in their own good works they will be condemned. And so what does it mean to be ready? Well, firstly, it means to be converted. It's not just enough to be a churchgoer or a good person. We have to place our trust in Christ and experience true conversion. So the first thing is we need to have a conversion to Christ. And the second thing is we need to be continuing. Jesus was had done everything. He has done everything that we need to be made right with God. But after experiencing conversion, we must now continue in our faith. Jesus finishes this parable with the words, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From everyone, or from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. There's many of us here at West Highland who have been part of a healthy church for many years. So much is going to be required of us. None of us uh, say, um, this is what we're doing. Um, 
but or that none of us says would say that we're living in a way just to sneak sneak by but sometimes the way we live shows that we're almost asking the question what's the least i can do and still get into heaven and uh, if we're asking that question or if we're living in that way we really need to examine ourselves to see if we're actually in the faith have a have i actually experienced true conversion if i'm just trying to sneak into heaven with the bare minimum sometimes we can act like grown-up teenagers asking the question how far is too far uh, with relation to dating um, we can kind of be trying to get by with how little is is enough to get into heaven how what how little do i have to do to get in and squeak into heaven Jesus calls us to be converted, but he also calls us to be continuing in our faith until he returns and to be found faithful. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in his sermon on this text, said, To put it very plainly, I think that watching for the coming of the Lord means acting just as you would wish to be acting if he were to come. So are we acting regularly in our lives in a way that we wouldn't be ashamed if Jesus came back to find us like that? The good news of the gospel, though, as, as I've said, though, is that Jesus has lived that life that we can't on our behalf. And so by putting our faith and trust in him, uh, we will be saved. And then he's called us then now to continue. So what does it look like to be ready for the return of Jesus? We need to be right with God by trusting in Jesus, which is conversion. And we need to devote ourselves and our lives to serving Jesus faithfully, which is the continuing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. He's the one that has now warned us to be ready for his return. And so, Lord, I pray that for each one of us uh, here this morning, including myself, would we be found faithful at his return. Lord, we await your return. Um, our world is broken and uh, it all creation is groaning and waiting for your return lord jesus and we as your church want to be ready for you as well and so by your spirit may we be found faithful and uh for those listening this morning who may not have ever experienced spiritual rebirth lord i pray that this morning you would by your spirit be working in their hearts calling them to yourselves and for those of us who've already experienced that spiritual rebirth we may you help us to continue on in that faith faithfully serving awaiting our master's return we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.